At this time, we have Scott Slatton, the Association's Director of Advocacy and Communication. He is here to share highlights from the 2021 legislative session. And Eric Buds, the Deputy Executive Director of the Association, is here to share updates and, our, and to our um, to-do list for compiling the new business license standardization. All right, guys, y'all come on up and take it away. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, good morning, everybody. I am Scott Slatton, the uh, Director of Advocacy and Communications. It is a pleasure to see all of you here. I am uh, delighted to be able to be in front of you in person uh, rather than online through one of the many tools that we've all been using for the last year and a half. Um, Joni Nickel on our, on our staff and uh, Casey Fields both have asked me not to wear my pinchers but I have to so that I can read my, uh, my script here, even though I've got it in big letters. So if you'll pardon me, I'll use my pinchers while I'm talking. Uh, talking about our staff, uh, if you haven't gotten to meet uh, Joni Nickel or Erica Wright, uh, they are our two, the two newest members of our legislative staff. They are both hold the title of legislative and public policy advocate. Um, that is, yes, give them a round. That is a, uh, that is a fancy title for lobbyists. Uh, they are two of uh, the three lobbyists, including myself, who uh, advocate on behalf of cities and towns, all of you in front of the General Assembly each year. Um, also, as I mentioned, Casey Fields on our staff. She's our manager for municipal advocacy. Many of you know her. And of course, Melissa Harrell is on our staff. She's our uh, legislative and research liaison. And she has been hard at work and probably been in touch with many of you over the last several months about the business license conversion. And uh, Eric Buds is going to talk more in detail about that project and how it's going and what you all as elected officials need to be doing and know about at this time. So I'm going to talk to you real quickly about the legislative session that just occurred, that just finished and is, seems to be ongoing. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about the advocacy initiatives that uh, we were able, with your help, to make great progress on or, in fact, even get passed into law this year. And then I'm going to talk briefly about the things that we anticipate that are going to uh, be on our radar come January when the General Assembly comes back in for the second of its two-year session. So this, this, of course, this past January to May was the first of a two-year legislative session. Um, and this was the year of the Republican agenda. Uh, the Republican caucuses in, in both the House and the Senate picked up seats, which enabled them to finally get to some uh, issues that were, have been of great importance to the, both of those caucuses over the years. But because of their lack of, a, of super majorities, particularly in the Senate, they were unable to get to them. Um, they first uh, tackled uh, the fetal heartbeat abortion bill uh, that came out of the House and then was passed in the Senate, and then uh, Governor McMaster signed that into law. The moment he signed it into law, it was enjoined by a federal uh, or enjoined by a, a court action, so uh, that law has not gone into effect until the, uh, the court case is resolved on that. The other big issue that the Republicans got done this year was the open carry law. This allows you, if you have a concealable weapons permit, to not have to carry it concealed. You can now carry it in open, uh, out in the open. But uh, that bill only passed as a result of it being an, uh, an open carry rather than a constitutional carry 
without any training. So you have to have training in order to be able to carry. Now, those two issues passed this year through the, the, the Republican majorities, the super majorities in both chambers. But uh, the, the more conservative members have vowed that they are, not, they are not satisfied with those two bills being passed to the extent that, uh, particularly on abortion, until there is an entirely uh, an entire ban on all abortions under any circumstance, uh, they are not going to let this issue rest. And of course, the constitutional carry advocates uh, are not going to rest until any of us are allowed to carry openly without any training or any restrictions whatsoever. So uh, while we think maybe those two issues are, uh, are put to bed, they are not. They will most likely come back. Um, redistricting, of course, uh, we just can finished the decennial census last year. Every, all of you know uh, are, and are likely aware that the results of the decennial census have not been distributed to the states or to the, to the local jurisdictions. Uh, and the General Assembly is the same. They are undergoing or beginning the process of redistricting now, uh, particularly important in the House because those are only two-year terms uh, and they'll be running again next year. In the Senate, they've got a few years because they don't have to run again until 2024. Uh, but they're both uh, underway with the, uh, the, the redistricting process. And of course, uh, the other big issue that we've all been interested in, and you're going to hear a lot more about later this afternoon, is the American Rescue Plan money and the, uh, the failure of the General Assembly or the governor's office to pull those funds down from the federal government, uh, denying you, most of you the opportunity to begin uh, spending that money. Uh, where bottom line is, and you'll hear this again in more detail, we're waiting on somebody to do something. Uh, and until somebody does something, we're not going to get to get our funds. Uh, the Senate Finance Committee is holding a subcommittee meeting on August the 3rd uh, on the ARP funds, particularly focusing on the local funds, and uh, we'll be there to testify on your behalf. I, I do want to mention that uh, Senator Mia McLeod from Richland County uh, sent a letter to the director of the Department of Administration, which is a cabinet agency, uh, requesting that that agency go ahead and ask for your money to be pulled down from the federal government. Uh, she so far is the only legislator that has made that request formally and in writing. So uh, give, give her some credit uh, in that area. So let me talk to you about our advocacy initiatives. Uh, seven of the 11 advocacy initiatives that uh, our board of directors uh, approved for this past session were passed into law or made significant progress. Um, the local government fund, of course, is a, a, is a priority for us every year to see that it is continued to be funded under the new formula, uh, under the new law that was passed in 2019, 2018, 2019. Uh, for the first time, that, that formula was followed by the General Assembly because of the pandemic last year. They did not get the opportunity to fund it. Uh, and of course, that new formula says that the local government fund will increase or decrease in concurrence with the state budget. And so uh, what the General Assembly did was take the increase that we should have gotten last year, and they took the increase from this current fiscal year, the new fiscal year that started July 1, put those two together, and were able to add $17 million to uh, the local government fund that you saw the benefit of. Uh, law enforcement reform. Obviously, everyone 
has had a keen interest in law enforcement issues uh, uh, after the, uh, the unrest from last year in particular. And so we have been very supportive of uh, a couple of bills, one in particular that came out of the House this year and is on its way over or is in the Senate now that seeks to do a number of things to reform uh, law enforcement training, tactical changes, uh, those sorts of things that, uh, that we'll see more of as the Senate continues to progress on that. The abandoned buildings tax credit, uh, that tax credit that many of your uh, cities have been able to take advantage of through development, that was set to expire at the end of this year, this calendar year, but we were able to work with partners in private industry in particular to get that tax credit extended until the end of 2025. Now, uh, we, along with some legislators, would love for uh, us to have to make that tax credit permanent, but uh, the General Assembly likes to come back and make sure that these uh, tax credits are doing the thing that they were intended to do, so that's why they don't like to extend them uh, for in perpetuity. So we'll, we'll come back in four years and work on that again. As a part of that, uh, the Textiles Revitalization Act uh, was amended as well uh, at the help, with the help and at the request of the city of Rock Hill to include more intervening connectors as a part of making a uh, textile, an abandoned textile site contiguous. Um, and so we added a couple of more physical features to that law to allow uh, more properties to potentially be eligible for that tax credit. Naloxone, uh, we heard from the city of Myrtle Beach during our regional advocacy meetings last year that there was a disparity in access to naloxone, or Narcan is one of the market terms for it. Uh, this is what fire departments and law enforcement use to help people uh, overcome opioid overdoses. Um, we were able to get some clarity and add, hopefully, some more access points to naloxone uh, for all fire departments in particular, not just uh, ones that are uh, unlicensed through DHEC. Um, we also saw the firefighter health care cancer benefit plan funded for the first time. Uh, last year, we were able to help get a cancer benefit passed for firefighters uh, if they were diagnosed with cancer. This was a, a supplemental insurance policy. The, the framework was put in place, but it was not funded last year. We were able to get that funded this year thanks to, uh, thanks to uh, our staff and the help of cities and towns across the state. And then we also added some, this was not necessarily a, a, an advocacy initiative for this year, but it's something that we've been very interested in over the years. We were able to add this year uh, two provisos to the state budget. One would compel the state treasurer to release uh, two years worth of local government funds that he is withholding if a city or town has not completed all of its audits on time. And then uh, we also got a proviso in there that would request or, or com compel the state auditor to convene a working group to determine uh, if there is a less than audit procedure that smaller cities and towns could take advantage of rather than having to go through the expense of a full-blown audit, which typically costs more than the local government fund that they would receive from the state. So those are provisos that are in place for the next fiscal year. They'll expire in June 30 of next year. We're hoping um, that the study committee, of course, will be, ha, ha, will have completed its work 
by then so we can make some recommendations to put into permanent law. Those were our seven of our 11 advocacy initiatives that we were able to make progress on. Others that we uh, are, are either in progress or we're teeing up for the second year of the two-year session that starts this coming January. Let me talk real quickly about another part of, a big part of the job that uh, your advocates do for, on your behalf in the General Assembly, and that is to play defense. All the things I just talked about were offense. Let's move to the other side of the, of the line of scrimmage and talk about defense. Uh, we were able to stop uh, the Home Attainability Act. Uh, this was a bill that has a very attractive uh, title uh, that was put forth by the South Carolina Home Builders Association under the guise of providing affordable housing opportunities for residents across the state. It was not that. It was in fact something that would uh, take away authority from local governments across the state to uh, uh, regulate housing and regulate your zoning as you see fit. We were able to stop that and as a result, a study committee was included in the budget by way of a proviso that we will be a part of to help try and find uh, more opportunities for affordable housing across the state. Uh, we were able to influence a, uh, a, a building codes adoption bill, House Bill 4060. Uh, the home builders, again, were very interested in getting rid of the regular update to building codes. On a permanent basis, we were able to negotiate a, a good compromise so that residential codes will be updated every six years and the commercial code will continue to be updated every three years. We were able to preserve your zoning authority uh, for home-based, home food-based businesses, food-based food businesses that are run out of someone's home in your, in your residential neighborhoods. Uh, it had a provision in it that would have stripped you of your authority to regulate those home-based businesses for food production, uh, but we were able to preserve that authority in that bill. And then there were two defensive stops that were extremely important during the budget negotiation. There were two provisos that were put forth. One uh, was a proviso that would have, in, would have exempted one title insurance company from paying the insurance tax uh, that we collect on behalf of all cities and towns across the state. Uh, while the dollars involved were not particularly significant, the principle of allowing an exemption for one particular business would have set a very dangerous precedent that we did not want to go down that road. Now, we were able to stop that proviso, but I will tell you that come January, we know that a bill will be filed to, if not allow an exemption for that one company, but a bill that would exempt all title insurance companies who write policies in South Carolina would exempt them from the insurance tax that all other insurance insurers across the state have to pay. The other proviso that we were able to stop was a uh, ban on bans of short-term rentals. So I'm sure that many of you across the state are dealing with short-term rentals and some of the uh, issues that they cause. Uh, this proviso uh, would prevent you from banning them outright, uh, which I'm not aware of any city or town in the state that has, uh, that either does ban them or has attempted to ban them entirely, but it also would have infringed on your, again, authority to deal with those through your zoning ordinance. We will have to fight that battle again come 2022. 
Here are a couple of things I want to give you uh, that's coming up in 2022 that are going to be extremely important that we're going to need your help to defend against. Uh, the first is a, a House Bill 4387, 4387. This is a bill that was filed at the very end of the legislative session, in fact, on the last day of the session, uh, by Representative Jay Jordan from Florence. It would exempt from your local business license tax uh, companies that are owned by, multiple companies that are owned by the same group or the same person. So if I own three different LLCs then and those LLCs do business from one, with one another, then only one of those LLCs would have to pay the business license tax, whereas now they are required, all three are required to pay it. Um, House Bill 3989, this is a bill that was introduced and had a 15-minute subcommittee hearing on it at the end of the session this year. This is a bill that would gut all of your tree ordinances. If you have a tree ordinance in place, this bill would gut it except for regulations within residential zoning areas, commercial, industrial areas. Uh, it would prohibit you from regulating uh, the clear cutting of properties that are intended for development going in the future. Um, the South Carolina retirement system is uh, being looked at to be reformed to go from a defined benefit plan to a defined contribution plan. There is a voluminous bill, Senate Bill 176, that was introduced and is being worked on. We'll be a part of that. Uh, there are PTSD bills, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder bills in the House, one in the House and one in the Senate. We worked on both of those this past year. This would allow first responders to claim PTSD uh, as a worker, as a as compensable under the workers' cop system. We will continue to work on those uh, to ensure that your first responders get the treatment that they need, but to also be mindful of the fiscal effects that that, uh, that benefit would have on your budget scoring forward. Um, we will try and continue to influence the vaping bill. This is a bill that would um, uh, allow you to continue to regulate vape shops through your zoning ordinance, but you will not be able to, and no one has proposed to do this, you would not be able to regulate the flavorings or the ingredients that go into these vape products, but you can regulate them through your zoning ordinance. We'll, can, we'll try and uh, make sure that that zoning authority is maintained for you. Uh, there's an affordable housing study committee in the Senate as I just, or in the budget this year, as I mentioned, will be a part of that. And of course, tort limits are something that we've been working on for the last several years. Uh, this is where uh, the uh, tort cap would be raised from $300,000 and $600,000 to half a million and a million per occurrence. Uh, this has been attempted for a number of years, and it, this bill at some point in, in some fashion will pass because it's been since the uh, mid-80s that the original caps were set, so we recognize that we need to be a part of the conversations to make sure that those limits don't go any higher than the half million and the million. Our regional advocacy meetings are coming up in September and October. Uh, we want you all to come to those. Tell us what you're dealing with, what you need us to help you with in the session coming up in January. I've had a number of conversations, particularly at the reception last night. Uh, already heard about some issues. We want you to bring those to us so we can be prepared to help you advocate for a position in the General Assembly next year. Um, follow us on Twitter. Uh, Erica, Joni, and I all tweet. I've been tweeting throughout the meeting 
meeting today, go to Twitter. Read from the dome to your home. That's the uh, legislative wrap-up that you get every Friday in your email box. We want you to do, want you to read that every week. And then listen to the City Quick podcast podcasts. Uh, during the uh, legislative session, Casey and I and Erica and Joni and Melissa all give you good information about what's going on in the General Assembly. Thank you for your time. I appreciate your attention, and I'll be here until the end of the, the uh, annual meeting tomorrow if you need to talk. Thanks. Good morning. Scott has talked to you about what occurred during the 2021 legislative session and given you a sneak preview of what we anticipate in 2022 when the General Assembly returns in January. What I'd like to do today is to step back to 2020 and talk with you about the ratification of the Business License Standardization Act, Act 176 of 2020 and talk specifically about the homework assignment that came out of that bill uh, and what all of you need to do to ensure that you meet the requirements to have a standardized business license system in place by January 1, 2022. But before I head into the specifics, this morning we had a number of newly elected officials who stood up, and I know we also probably have some new staff members. So I'm going to take just a minute to provide the background that led up to the passage of the Standardization Act. For many years, legislators received expressions of concern from the business community about the complexity and inconsistency of business license regulations across the state and how difficult that made it for them to operate particularly when they operated in a dozen or more communities across the state. Those concerns resonated with the members of the General Assembly. And over a period of time, we frequently saw legislation introduced that had the potential to gut the business license system and the revenue it generates that all of our cities are so dependent upon. In 2020, the leadership of the General Assembly sent a signal that they wanted to resolve this issue. Significant progress was made during the spring of 2020 until the legislature abruptly adjourned as a result of COVID. They reconvened in September for a special session to complete the unfinished business from 2020 and prioritize the business license issue which resulted in the passage of a bill that was ratified as the, standard, the Business License Standardization Act of 2020. This was a true compromise reached between the General Assembly, the business community, and the Municipal Association, representing our 271 cities. We know that the word compromise is often viewed negatively but this was a true win for both the business community and for our municipalities. Specifically, municipalities retain the right to levy the business license tax, to set your rates independently, to continue to use many of the practices that you were using before the 
ratification of the act. And most importantly, we expect it to have little, if any, impact on your business license revenue, provided that you follow the process that we're going to outline today. For the business community, they won by achieving standardization of practices across all municipalities and counties that issue business licenses, and also the right to make payments through a statewide business license payment portal, which would eliminate a lot of the confusion and difficulties they had when they operate in multiple jurisdictions. So now let's talk about specifically what is required by the Business License Standardization Act. The Standardization Act requires effective January 1st, 2022, that all local governments that levy a business license tax must use the following standardized practices. A due date of April 30th, a fixed business license year of May 1 through April 30th, a uniform business license uh, uniform method of assigning rate classes to businesses, a defined measurement of gross receipts used to calculate the business license of either the business's prior calendar year revenues, like you and I use for our income tax return, or the business's fiscal year. And finally, it requires that all municipalities accept a standard business license application, which would allow the business to complete their key information, send that form out in the field, and allow their employees to then add the specific information related to each job when they come in to pull a business license from your city or town. And the last point of standardization is that all cities in the state must accept payments through the business license standardization portal. So with the ratification of the act, there was a, a short period of excitement that uh, we had met our number one legislative goal and it hopefully put the issue of business licensing to rest in the General Assembly. But qu pretty quickly after that, the reality set in that yes, we had achieved that goal, but now we had the dawning task of getting 230 plus cities that have business licenses in South Carolina to truly standardize their practices. So what did your association do? We began to build the resources necessary to help you achieve compliance. We assigned a dedicated staff group of our staff members to work on it. We currently have approximately a dozen employees that are working in some way on business license standardization. We divided the list of the 230 cities among those staff members, assigned a liaison to each city, and asked that liaison to reach out and have a telephone conversation or virtual meeting with every city in town in South Carolina to tell them about the requirements of the Business License Standardization Act. We built an Excel-based template that allows you to download your business license data, have it automatically reclassify your businesses to the 2021 class schedule, and allow you to model any revenue impacts that may result as a result of that reclassification process. 
Eric Scheidel, our general counsel, developed a model business license ordinance, the 2022 business license model ordinance, vetted that with several experienced municipal attorneys, and we prepared and released that product. Our communication staff put together dedicated products to keep you informed of the requirements of the act and to help you work through the process of making sure your city is compliant. We established a prioritized system for technical assistance. When we receive your data that's in good enough condition for the rebalancing process to take place, we place you in a queue and we're working that list on a first-come, first-served basis. We establish a commitment within our organization that we'll provide as little or as much hands-on technical assistance as every city in the state of South Carolina requires to meet the compliance deadline. Our communication, uh, our, excuse me, our collection staff, which has newly been rebranded as Revenue Services, continues to work on refining, testing, and preparing the portal for rollout on January 1st, 2022. So I've given you the requirements of the Act, what we've done to give you the resources to comply. What I'd like to do now is emphasize to you that we need each and every one of you to know where your city is in the process and make sure that you have a realistic plan to achieve compliance by January 1st, 2022. We are 160 days, roughly 160 days out from that deadline. It's fast approaching. We need action from all of our cities and towns. We have broken the process down into seven simple steps. The first is convert your business license year. I said that the new standard is a due date of April 30th and a business license year of May 1 through April 30. For your 2021 business license year, your current business license year, if you have a due date that ends before April 30th, we need you to extend your license year. If your license year extends beyond April 30th, we need you to shorten your business license year. Step two that we hope everyone has already begun working on is to review your existing business license data. Make sure it's accurate. Make sure that you know how to pull that data out of your software to be able to be loaded into the template or for your staff to use some other method of rebalancing. The system is based on the use of North American industry classification system codes. Many of you are already using those, but we're asking you to review those for accuracy, update them to the 2017 NAICS codes. For those of you that are not using a system based on NAICS codes, it's important that you have assigned NAICS codes to each business license record. The third step in the process is to reclassify your businesses to the 2021 class schedule, which is prepared by the association and has been signed off on by the State Office of Revenue and Fiscal Affairs. 
This is a process that may result in your businesses moving up one or more rate classifications, remaining the same, or possibly decreasing one or two rate classifications. The system is based on IRS profitability statistics. So it's been a long time since you've updated your business license, ordinance, and rate classes. You may see some significant movement of businesses within rate classes. That movement will impact the revenue generated by your business license tax. The fourth step after you've done the reclassification is to do the analysis as to what is the impact that was created as a result of movement of businesses. Is it going to require me to raise rates, lower rates, or am I good with the rates that we have? The law requires that you be revenue neutral, that no one in the 2022 business license cycle can generate a profit as a result of the, the reclassification of the businesses. We recommend that you use a 1% threshold to determine whether your revenue um, is going beyond a revenue neutral situation. Once you have done the reclassification and the analysis of your rates, the next step is to repeal and replace your current business license ordinance. And we emphasize strongly that you repeal and replace. The modifications in the 2022 model business license ordinance are significant enough that we don't believe that you can accurately modify your existing ordinance. And there's a good chance that possible errors. So repeal your current ordinance and replace it with the 2022 model ordinance. Step six is to notify the stakeholders. If you are one of the communities that has not updated your business license in many years and you see a lot of movement of businesses up and down within their rate classifications, it's important that the business community understand that your results need to be revenue neutral. But there will be individual winners and losers as a result of that movement up or down within your businesses. The seventh step, the final, is to prepare your, your city for use of the statewide business license portal. So what are the takeaways that, that we want all of you to bring back to your city from this meeting? First and most important is business license standardization is not optional. It is the law, effective January 1, 2022. Every municipality that levies business license tax has to do something in 2021 to bring your city into compliance. For those that updated their systems within the last two or three years, that may be as little as reclassifying your businesses and adopting the new model ordinance. For those of you on older systems or a system that was not compatible with the association's model business license system, your task is going to be a little more difficult and time consuming. We've heard some municipalities say that, you know, we updated a year or two ago and we need to do nothing. That, that is not accurate. 
Be aware that this multi-step process, even for the best prepared cities and towns, is going to be a process that normally takes two to three months to accomplish unless you streamline the process to adopt the ordinance. As I said earlier, we need you to know where your city is and that there is a realistic plan. I want to make sure that no one leaves here saying that the association said to go interrogate your staff and get upset because they haven't made progress on this project. There are legitimate reasons why cities have not started. Some were having difficult budget years as a result of COVID and wanted to complete their budget year before they started the process. Others feel like the process is going to be so significant that it would be confusing if they started the process before they concluded their current business license year. Some cities are having difficulty with their software vendor being able to pull the data they need. So there are legitimate reasons. But everyone needs to know that our commitment to provide all the hands-on technical assistance you need is not going to be possible if every city in town waits until the end of the third quarter to start this process. Please make sure that you've got a realistic plan. At the meeting, uh, directly in front of our registration table, we have a business license standardization table set up, and Melissa Carter is staffing that table. And a number of our other staff members will be in the area. If you have any questions related to business license standardization, I want to know where we understand your city is, and I emphasize the word understand. There are some cities that may be well ahead in the process that have not communicated that to us. Um, we can help you understand where we believe you are at. If you are one of those cities that is well ahead in the process, let us know if we have something that was in error. Uh, there was a slip of paper put in with your name badges that showed where we believe cities are in the seven-step process. Um, that may or may not be accurate if, if we have not uh, had accurate communication from your city or town. We are committed to helping you, but we need you to help us and ensure that your cities are in compliance. Thank you.